What's up, everyone? Thank you for joining this discussion with Karina and myself. Karina Popovich is someone who founded Makers of COVID-19, an organization of 170-plus members to make 82,000-plus units of PPE during the pandemic. She was honored on Teen Vogue's 21 Under 21 because of it, and she is someone who is a founder of many things, Connect with Tech, Wear Alpha, Makers for COVID-19, and many more. She's had experience at Microsoft and Amazon doing many things related to tech, 3D printing, engineering, computer science, so on and so forth. She's an amazing person with a great story and a lot of experience, so let's dive in and see how she's pioneering her own life and many things along with it. I have a dream. That's one small step for man. I am the greatest. Something, go get it. Period. Karina, I appreciate you taking the time to dive deep and we can get to know your story in full, but just to connect with you as well on a personal level. Yeah, definitely. I am super happy to be here and can't wait to learn more about you, Anthony, and everything you're doing and also share a little bit about myself. Yeah, for sure. So when diving into your Full story. I'm like I said before. You have a wealth of experience at such a young age. Um, kudos on the the two zero as the new year starts as well. Um, but I know your parents were immigrants that came to America. But like, what was what did they do growing up? Because I know you've seemed like you've always wanted to be in engineering, and maybe not. We'll get into it. But what were they up to um, when they were younger? Yeah, great, great questions. Um, <laughs> My, my parents immigrated from Ukraine and back then, you know, it, it's, I always have a very fun time explaining this because not a lot of people get it, but frankly, I don't get it either because I wasn't there, but I kind of have this visual understanding of what happened. And really the best way to explain is explain it is that as my parents were growing up, the communist regime ended. So everything was in so much disarray and chaos and there was a ton of crime uh, to the point where if you weren't a criminal, you were a corrupt police officer um, and there was just really no, and you could be, you know, a low key criminal, if that makes sense, who does business and, you know, for lack of better words, is just a hustler. Um, and just mm. tries to, to get money in ways that people didn't really, I guess, the country didn't really approve of at the time, but also weren't, you know, the worst things ever. So my dad was was doing just that. He was basically, you know, buying, buying pro- produce and products in China and then bringing them over in Ukraine to Ukraine and then selling them. Mm. And he was involved in that sort of hustle and doing a lot of that and that in itself has a ton of stories um back then ukraine and everything just wasn't safe so the amount of times that he's told me that he's been you know in crazy you know fast and furious vin diesel type situation oh man yeah he he could write a book on it um i'll be honest uh crazy stuff but that's the time that they were in and Mm -hmm. a lot of what my mom did was really kind of, you know, 
she was definitely laid back very much a kind of school student focused person she never really she wanted to go into um criminal investigation investigation but she never really ended up going there because at that young age my parents immigrated here when they were 20 and my mom yeah my mom was 20 and my dad was 28 so my mom literally just finished high school she was helping my dad out with the things that he was doing and you know they got their green card and they came here and then they you know struggled through the whole immigration process and that's kind of a little bit of their background yeah yeah which is insane to think because you're 20 and like what if you had to leave to go to a whole different country you know oh my gosh yeah you ever ever think about that I yeah I, I think about it all the time and I think it like you know right my mom was pregnant when she came to the U.S. she was pregnant with me so I'm here to a new country when you're only 20 and to be pregnant and to to have to start life all over again while being 20 (laughs) it it just (laughs) it blows my mind but I I always kind of think back on it and I think you know there's there's so many struggles and experiences that I will never have to face because my parents faced for me um like they've Mm. they've kind of you know given me this opportunity and now the best that I can do is take advantage of it and you know you you mentioned the wealth of experience and in my mind I think you know my parents struggled so much to get to where we are now there's no reason why I shouldn't try and do everything which you know is detrimental sometimes to my mental health (laughs) work-life balance but it's Mm. definitely it's definitely a driving force for, for me, you know, constantly doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to touch on that later on, on finding like the harmonization between um, burnout and uh, like productivity and efficient productivity, but we'll get to that. But I was going to, on that point too, I was going to ask like you've, from what I've read about and like digested myself, it seemed like you've always been into the path of engineering or like just being a builder or maker, as you call it, like, was that always that way? Was it always set in stone for you in your mind or did did you stumble across it eventually? Yeah. So my journey was very interesting, I would say, because my coming here to the U S my dad had to take on an actual occupation. He decided it would be, you know, becoming an electrician because that's what paid the bills. And it was just very situational. And at that time I was growing up, so I always, and I got very curious and interested and I loved, you know, doing stuff hands-on. Like I wanted to build and I wanted to make. And from, from as early as I can remember, I was, you know, trying to light up a light bulb or doing some other Mm. sort of project. Um, I remember I built a bridge out of popsicle sticks once. It was just always some sort of, you know, desire in me to build and to make and you know over the years I continued to pursue it I would you know take a robotics class in middle school and then it wasn't until high school that I realized that what I loved doing was actually engineering and that's when things kind of took a turn for me because I you know when you're when you're a a 10 year old you don't really think of gender differences you kind of you're all you're all the same you're just trying to kids and, and have fun Um, but 
in high school, it really kind of hit me. And I had a bunch of, you know, a bunch of battles with imposter syndrome where I didn't think I was good enough, or it just felt like I didn't belong in that sphere. And that resulted in me kind of, you know, trying to, you know, for lack of better words, become one of the boys to fit into what I thought was my passion. Mm-hmm. And then after doing that, I very quickly realized that, you know, as much as I love engineering, it's not something that I ever want to do as a career. And the part about engineering that attracts me the most is the ability to be able to create and to make, which really, if you think about like all of my experiences, it kind of, you know, makes sense because that's just something that I always did from a young age. So I realized that maybe going down the path of engineering is not the right direction, but going down the path of, you know, making uh, the larger picture of, you know, starting a business, um, seeing it from start to finish, prototyping for that business if necessary, um, you know, building to solve problems is is kind of what I really wanted to do. Mm. Yeah, that's actually a perfect point. I was waiting to bring up this quote. I, I thought it would fit somewhere in our conversation. But you said, and this is one of your, your tenants, you said, you don't have to build jet engines and make intense calculations to qualify for the title of an engineer. You can 3D print, build, and make things for fun and still be an engineer. Everyone has been an engineer at some point in their life. And I think not only is that spot on, but I've heard many top, top figureheads say that. I mean, to, to, to quote like the man at the apex right now, like Elon says, within the next couple of decades, like there should be more builders and makers um, instead of just finance people, you know, because it might be automated in some sense, but it is crucial for and for everyone to know that they have that within them. Absolutely. And I think the, as we're seeing right now, the powerful here, the powerful part here is intersectionality, being Mm. able to, to do different things and being able to see, you know, the intersections of two worlds, like me, me having a, a diverse background in engineering and, you know, I have experience in coding and, you know, 3d printing and 3d modeling and a little bit of everything. I think that really kind of helps not just with perspectives, but also with just having a different way of thinking. And it's something that I, you know, I, I encourage other people to, to explore for themselves because there's just, in a world that we're moving into, it's kind Mm -hmm. of hard to, to be competitive in the job force or even just, you know, be competitive period. Um, and, and not have some sort of technical background, not have some sort of, you know, engineering mindset. So I mm. think, I think it's very vital that we all, you know, embrace the inner, inner engineers that we are and, you know, stop, put a halt to this kind of, you know, dichotomy of you're either an engineer or you're not. Cause there's yeah, just- that's how it used to seem like, even I, the crazy thing I like when I got to university, um, I declared as I was like psychology at one point and then I was engineering um, and I liked solving problems even when I was younger like I liked math but the institutional aspect of like not um, being rewarded for trying to overcome failure and like re- like really learn work through things um, 
made me get into what I'm in now, you know, maybe I was, uh, you could say forced to be in it or I was called, but either way, like I'm here now and I'm appreciative of it, but I've seen that I've always had that, uh, interest for building things, like you said. Exactly. And I think it's something that everyone has. Mm. It's just, you know, some people, people choose to stop pursuing that passion for building and problem solving in my mind because they feel like it's no longer a path for them because people feel like they have to choose and as soon as they feel the slightest bit unwelcome in in one direction they move to another and i think you know that's definitely something that i felt i've definitely had a lot of moments where i felt you know kind of like you know the engineering world is just not for me like you know i care about how I dress. I like to get my nails done. I like the kind of girlier side of things. And there's just no, no room right now for that in engineering. And, you know, having those moments of unwelcomeness, I would say they've definitely pushed me away. And, you know, I've been able to, to do 3D printing and engineering at my own leisure, because I am very kind of, at this point, committed to it. But someone who might be less committed to engineering, this would be a very, you know, very good reason for them to, to not want to continue pursuing it or continue exploring it. And I think that's really not, you know, we want to encourage more people to yeah. doing it. Yeah, create an environment where they can thrive, which uh, I was going to go into the points that you said before with diversifying your skills. You worked as an intern at Amazon once and then Microsoft. I wanted to ask... Uh, maybe both are separate or maybe they're conjoined learnings. But when you were in these like huge tech companies, um, I don't know your involvement, but like what did you take away from how they operate so well and how they churn out such amazing products and work? Yeah, so I can definitely talk towards my experience in Amazon because that was the most recent one. I was Mm -hmm. a software developer intern there. And I definitely, the kind of most most vibrant parts of my memory of working there over this past summer definitely have to be the, the brand and the culture. Um, it was definitely one of those scenarios where a lot of people really idolized the company. And I don't mean in a negative way. I actually found it to be very kind of warming to, to have you know, a central mission that everyone believed in, like everyone believed in Amazon, everyone wanted to see it succeed. And it was very much the agenda that the company itself was trying to push. Like the HR department um, would, would show us videos and we would kind of watch these videos as training and really, you know, believe in, in the world that Amazon was trying to create. And that's one, that's kind of the one big takeaway that I learned that, you know, in leadership, it's very important to get people to believe in the world that you're trying to create. And it's very important to help them visualize that. And, mm-hmm. and that. I think that's that was one of my biggest takeaways. And the other kind of really big thing that I noticed and saw is the amount of opportunities that you have within a really large company. Um, you get a ton of money, um, which is already a huge kind of uh, barrier for most entrepreneurs or really anyone who's trying to start anything. Um, you know, it's, you get a bunch of money to do a project and it's really great that you, you know, 
can can you know play around at someone's expense but i also think the other side of it is that you there's a lot of structure and there is a lot of you know a lot less room for flexibility which is one of the things that i didn't i wasn't super eager for because i'm very much the type of person that wants to you know dream big and do do my own thing but at the same time i realized just how much value there is in working at a huge company like Amazon because of the amount of resources that they provide, because of the amount of professional development that they do for you and learning their infrastructure and learning their systems, which have been proven and are effective and, and get the job done is, is huge for when you want to take that into your next step of life or your startup or whatever it is you want to do. And that's, that's really kind of what I tried to do really absorb these valuable skills and and lessons and really just take that with me yeah yeah the the having a label of being at a company but also literally within the company of so much leverage whether it's reaching out to other people or like learning stuff within an organization that's spot on and which is which is cool too so what what was the duration in which you were at amazon and then you started uh makers for COVID 19 which was obviously this past year Yeah. So it's actually funny that you bring this up because Makers for COVID-19, I started in March of 2020 Mm -hmm. and I started my internship at Amazon in June and, and, and ended in August. So I was doing both at the same time and definitely, definitely a whirlwind, very crazy. Um, Would not recommend to anyone. Um, Definitely focus on one because I felt like you know, and this is one of the things that I always kind of, I have a tug of war with, you know, my, the amount of passions I have and the amount of things on my plate versus, you know, diving in super deep into one um, and just, you know, focusing on that. And that was definitely a huge dilemma I had this summer, you know, having these two huge projects, you know, working for Amazon and also doing, doing makers for COVID-19, which was, you know, ramping up and requiring a lot of my intention. Like what, what do I focus on and, and how do I spread myself evenly amongst the two of them? And, you know, sacrificing the, the fact that I won't be able to give a hundred percent to one or the other, and mm. I won't be able to get a hundred percent out of one or the other. So. Yeah. 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 I, I think, I would love for you to give a one sentence on makers uh, for COVID-19, but then yeah. I'll, I'll ask I have, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So makers for COVID-19 is a coalition of 300, 350 plus 3d printer owners from around the world who we kind of just got together and started 3d printing personal protective equipment as soon as we saw all the shortages and as soon as we realized that 3D printing could actually be a viable solution at the time. And to date, we've donated 82,000 units of PPE. So we've been keeping busy this pandemic. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I really want to get into that heavily, but uh, I know I said at the end, I was going to bring up the point of harmonizing, uh, doing a lot versus focusing on like one thing. So you could say like when you had the Amazon internship and then you started, uh, I know makers for COVID-19 before, but when they kind of intersected in the summer, like what did it force you to learn about prioritizing? You could be like self-care or like, 
mental health, right? Because I resonate. Like, I really do want to push myself super hard sometimes. But sometimes my work bleeds into the night and I don't, I don't get enough sleep. So for you, how, how did you, what did you learn about that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I learned this summer um, was the importance of, of being able to, you know, say no and delegate more and kind of take, take a step back sometimes. And I think, you know, as far as self-care goes, I've always, I I haven't really learned my lesson with self-care until really recently. And the lesson that I have learned that I had the hardest time learning, it, it took me a few years to learn this, but I realized that the more I invest in my happiness and myself, the more I invest in my productivity and my work. Um, and a lot of that came from, you know, I was one of those kids in high school that was like, if, if I did not work on weekends, then <laughs> I felt like I was not good enough. I was not working enough. If I did not have headaches, if I did not, you know, sleep a minimum of six, if I did not sleep less than six hours, like I was not doing enough. That was the mindset I was in. Versus now I've realized that, you know, weekends, working weekends should not be a thing and should have never really been a thing. Um, weekends, I completely shut off. I don't touch my laptop. I only focus on my friends and actually finding happiness. Like I will walk into a room with people and I will think, you know, what do I do to make myself happy here? What, you know, what conversations should I strike up? what, how do I get this to make, make me have a good time? And having that mindset where I'm purposely seeking happiness during like a set time of the week, which is for me Friday, no, Saturday and Sunday Mm. has really made it, made my productivity at a whole new level. Like it's, it's kind of hard to put your finger on it or quantify it, but I almost feel like during the weekdays, Monday through Friday, I am a whole new level of productive and I bring a whole new level of, you know, happiness to my work and things just work out. And they are, it's kind of like this euphoric experience where things are going the way I want them to. I'm handling situations better. And, you know, I think it's because of this whole new, this newfound energy to actually find my happiness happiness and actually put effort into it and you know it's it's definitely a realization that once you get there for me it took a lot of just you know trial and error and and finally realizing but once you get there I think it really changes your perspective on on work and and self-care yeah it's like the the way of an engineering process right it's like trial and error your way there and then once you go you're never going back oh yeah definitely not I I'm never going back. And I think it's the amount of changes that have come out of this whole kind of realization of work-life balance have been huge. Like I mm. feel like I'm more productive, productive than I've ever been. And the most important part is I'm more efficient than I've ever been. And at the same time, I feel like every day I'm happy. And that's one of those things where it's like, you know, I derive happiness from my work and from my routine and the things I do. And that's like a rare thing to come by. And I, it, it's so important. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. And to be focusing on it 
at uh, the younger age is important because like I always say to myself, I'd rather have that right than to have my financials be on check and then my mental health be uh, decaying um, as yeah. I get older. I mean, I'd rather be the other way around. But um, even Jeff Bezos, I, I actually saw this this year in an article talking about Amazon before, right? He he actually used to say work-life balance, but then he said work-life harmonization. And I thought it was a really cool word, just the aspect of harmonization. Um, but I, I wanted to, not to tail off too much, but I wanted to ask about 82,000 units of PPE. Like that is a lot of, of PPE. So I want to kind of open up and dissect how you guys were able to do that at such a high level. Cause it's kind of cool how it came together, right? You learn some stuff at Amazon, you learn this aspect of self-care and treating yourself better, investing in yourself so you can have a better output. So like, how did you delegate that with all of the 300 plus people with 3d printers and like get that to be such a high amount? Yeah, it was definitely a huge team effort. We had a 300, we had 350 people who had 3d printers and were actively printing. We then had a team of executives. There was 18 of us and we were in charge of actually kind of, for lack of better words, corralling everyone together and really leading all the projects that it took to make this happen. And on a high level of how this all worked out, we basically had our communication channels over Slack where we kind of, you know, nudged people, told people, hey, if you're not working on something, you should try and working on an order and kind of, you know, really communicated with everyone. And we also had our spreadsheet and this is the spreadsheet where we had every, we still, we still have it and we still use it because we kind of, we try to cater to any requests that are still ongoing. Uh, but we have this huge spreadsheet where we list out every single request we've ever gotten. And we have a system in which every every one of our makers has access to that spreadsheet and as soon as they see a request that they want to take on they just move it to the in progress category of the spreadsheet and we have a spreadsheet master we have a bunch of people in charge of actually finding these requests and you know calling up facilities confirming and and doing all that work and it all kind of comes together in the system of you know people find these requests, they put them on the sheet. Um, a maker then looks at the sheet every day and updates whether they've taken on that request or not. And then we have our spreadsheet master kind of making sure that everything's in, in order. And then you have people like me and a few other people who are, you know, trying to, to delegate with all the makers and saying, hey, you're not working on anything. Is something going on? Do you need help with your 3D printer? is something mm. broken can we help help you fix it um what can we do to get you on this this other order or this other request so kind of a bunch of back and forth and it really it really took the whole village to make this happen yeah so you like fill in i mean that it definitely takes a whole village to do that but it seemed like when there were um some like leaks in the boat you would just come in and fill those voids kind of being like the overseer of like what's missing? Yeah, definitely. I would say my role was one where I kind of was doing a little bit of everything. Sorry about that. Um, no, no, you're good. I was doing 
a little bit of everything. I would be helping to find requests. I would be, you know, taking on the role of spreadsheet master from time to time, just to make sure everything's in order. I would be pinging the makers to make sure that they're on top of their things. And I would work with the rest of the, the team members to work on other projects. We, we were constantly trying to build chapters in other countries because we were receiving requests from Kenya and Nigeria. So we mm. think, you know, why, why ship over to them when we could just give their facilities money to do stuff that we're doing. So we had a team dedicated to, to doing that. We had a team dedicated to creating resources, whether it be, you know, educational documents or even just collecting discount codes from suppliers. So we kind of had a bunch of things going on from the main, aside from the main kind of channel of what was going on. Mm-hmm. So juggling all of that and kind of leading that and providing insights was where where I was. Gotcha. Wow. And uh, when you did bring up the international aspect of it, I did think of uh, the Tanzania um, work you did with Connect With Tech at one point. And I was just like, because I did think of my friend before and I, and I brought her up, um, who's working on Impactive, my friend Krishna. But um, did you actually travel to Tanzania or was it just like you did all this virtually? Yeah, we did all of it virtually, which actually made it so much harder. <laughs> but we basically with Connect With Tech and the Hope School in Moshi, Tanzania, we basically built computers. Um, I, I took the, the summer to design a laptop uh, to meet the school's needs. And basically we built, we built five of them and sent, to, sent those to the school so that they could have a computer science course. And the computer science course has been running ever since and teaching students. So I think it's, I think it's in its third year of running now. That's incredible. Yeah. It's definitely nice to kind of see the the long-term impact of of things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you got the computer price down to pretty, pretty reasonable price and you're able to make a couple. Um, Yeah. That's, that's cool. What is it, what is it like to, Cause that's the whole thing with engineering, right? When people like build bridges or um, they create a rocket ship or whatever, like you want it to last for as long as possible. So like, what is it, what does it feel like to see that just continually growing or evolving? It's definitely a really nice moment of like, wow, I'm, you know, this wasn't just for nothing. This wasn't just like, you know, something that I did to, feel good about myself or to put on my resume like this is actually having a, an impact and it's it's sticking you know it's not it's something that can continue beyond me and it provides enough value for it to continue beyond me and I think you know seeing seeing that and seeing you know the fact that it's working out and like I said it's sticking and providing value is just the best best feeling ever Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, one thing that um, you're really, really adept in and like focused on, which we touched on a little bit, um, which you made the PPE out of was uh, 3D printed mass, right? And I, and I know 3D printing is big for you. You're in a lot of organizations with that. Uh, I actually did one little story, someone I hopefully can interview eventually, 
Uh, his name is David uh, Aguya, and I believe he was around. He was born with uh, no right forearm, and he, at the age of nine, he was really into Legos. And he decided at the age of nine to build his first prototype of a prosthetic using Legos. Oh, wow. And I was like, this guy's incredible. And then as he got older, long story short, like he built this incredible Lego made prosthetic. And now he's at a university in somewhere in Europe, I think. And he he's making, I think it's 3D printed or like reusable or using reuse cycle, re, um, recycled material to have a, a better prosthetic that's actually f- functioning. And I was oh, just like, this kid's incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was going to ask you, like, what are your, like, do you, do you want 3D printing to be a ma- uh, more of a focus for you going forward? Because I know you're in a, the Dyson School of uh, Economics, right? And management, which is like more focused on um, that side of things. So like, how do you, how are you envisioning um, to bring things together for yourself? Like, where do you want to be? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll start off by saying that I've definitely had my own fair share of dabbling in 3D printed prosthetics. And it's something that I'm looking to do a little bit more of. Um, It's super, super cool. Um, And especially relevant for little kids who are constantly growing. So yeah, especially, especially, sorry to intersect, but like, uh, biotech is is going to start blowing up more and more you know yeah it's crazy because we're like this close to printing organs um so it's mm. it's really incredible all the things all the wide applications of 3d printing and we're only now kind of starting to really graze the surface of of all the things that can be done with it and um i think for me the the way to kind of tie everything together i'm realizing that what really matters for me, um, as much as I love 3D printing and as much as I love love doing this work, there's way more there's way more kind of entrepreneurial spirit in me than there is anything else. Which is why I think, you know, long term, I definitely see myself starting a, a startup. And whether that be in in 3D printing or some other industry that I start to learn more of, you know, that is something that I'll come to realize. But I think for me, 3D printing is definitely one of those things that I feel a natural, natural kind of attraction and gravitation towards and something that because of that, I've learned a ton about. But, you know, maybe I'll learn a ton about something else and maybe I'll take my entrepreneurial spirit in that direction. So. I'm definitely mm. very kind of a little, maybe even a little too open-minded about it, but I kind of like to, to say that, you know, I'm just a leaf and wherever the wind blows me, that is where I'll make the most of it. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. And you'll put your best foot forward with whatever you do, which, and you, it's how it should be. I mean, talk about experimenting and stuff. It's like, yeah. Um, at a younger age, you should be able to do that. <laughs> totally. And if you think about it, like I have no business being in the world of PPE or medicine. Like <laughs> I ended up in this world of doctors and, you know, mm. medicine by complete accident, knowing like I have, I don't want to do pre-med ever. I don't want to do anything with medicine. That is not for me. 
just funny because all of my friends are pre-med um, and all of them are, you know, in this world. So like, it, I kind of think about it and I really, like, I have no business being here, but <laughs> I am. And I, I figured out the world of PPE and I figured out the world of making PPE and, you know, I'll be able to, to figure out the next, the next mm. thing that comes up. And that's kind of one of the other things that I've been working on lately is just finding the confidence in my abilities to trust myself wherever I go. Um, and just really knowing that, you know, wherever I, I end up being, I will make the most of it and my, you know, trusting myself to get to where I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really, really glad you brought that up because it resurfaced a question. Uh, I think one of the, one of the last ones I was going to ask of in your process, because I, I read the bio on the makers for COVID-19 and you literally had to like learn how to make the PPE and do all this stuff from scratch. Like I think the learning process of something is really fascinating. And also it just shows like a growth mindset to be able to start from zero and accelerate forward um, in like a kind of bullet formed answer or like a step-by-step from what you can recall, like how did you go about learning making the PPE through the 3D printers? Yeah, I definitely think my, my learning process was very interesting. It was a lot of just, you know, first sitting down to do research, Googling all these things. And of course, I think uh, people always underplay this, but gut instinct is so important. But like belief, like belief in something, belief in something, or even just kind of, you know, having a gut feeling that, <clears throat> sorry, tells you when, when something is, is right and tells you when something doesn't feel right. Mm. So I, I just sat down to do a bunch of research and I, after that found a few files that I felt right about and that I felt, you know, I could 3d print because, you know, at that time in, in the whole world of 3D printing PPE, there was a ton of files and a ton of things that people were printing that they should have never printed um, because they did not have the right machinery to print it because they did not have the right sanitary procedures to actually be producing those parts. And, you know, keeping that in mind, I, I stayed clear of, you know, making 3D printed N95 versions I stayed clear from making ventilator valves for those reasons. And so I, I decided to just focus on face shields and ear savers. And I, you know, set up the files on my printer and gave them a test print. And, you know, the first few test prints didn't go super well, but that's kind of as expected. Did a little bit more trial and error, got them to a good point, And then, you know, found someone who actually could use them and reached out to that person and, mm. They, you know, took them with open arms and the same night I had pictures from them because they were so thankful of, of the donation. So um, I think from there, I really kind of saw that this could be something bigger. And I kind of, again, back to the gut instinct, I, I had a feeling that it could be something bigger. Um, and I had a feeling that it would take a lot out of me if I <laughs> So I was a little hesitant at first, but then I kind of just dove into it and mm. old makers for COVID-19. Yeah, incredible. That's uh, definitely can't underplay the importance of timing. Uh, and like yeah. you said, gut feeling, but also I was literally just going to ask, like, what did you like, what did you kind of tap into? Because it seems like there's a constant theme of 
trial and error and like persistence. I mean, you, you come from, you have this DNA of persistence as well. Your parents are immigrants. Like what do you kind of tap into when it's like, dang, this is actually tougher than I thought. Or you just acknowledge it at the beginning and then you're like, all right, let's just, let's just take each step and, and walk this path. Yeah. I definitely think it's the latter for me. I'm very mm. much the, the type of person that, you know, if something, if I get a no or something fails, then Bill Gates said this, but then that just means I need to work harder. Um, if yeah. something work out, then I didn't work hard enough. And that's just how I take things. And for me, I think, you know, I, I saw how big initially this could get and I saw how much work it would take, but I kind of just ended up doing it. And, you know, one thing led to another and I just kept doing it. And, you know, I took, I took the challenge as it came and it was one of those things where I just, I had no choice, but to take it. And I'm not the type of person to say no to a great opportunity. So I just kept taking more and more and it just ended up working, working out in in that direction. And I think to your point about growth, growth is super important. And it's one of the things that I really kind of live by. I think, you know, growing is, is the most important thing you can do. Stepping up Mm -hmm. to a challenge, exploring yourself and all of your interests is, is huge. Like I'm constantly exploring myself and all of my interests and I have a ton of them, but so does everyone. And, you know, a lot of people on my social media will see, oh, she's always doing a lot of things. And I will, you know, say like, yeah, you could be too. You just need to give yourself the chance in the room to actually explore and, you know, have that mentality of, you know, if something doesn't work out, you just need to work harder or you need to do more of it. And, and that, and you will get to the results that you're looking for if you have that mindset. Yeah, that that's and those are words to live by, and it also points to. I mean, you talked about happiness is obviously top priority. Like someone I really look up to, or I should say, learn from, is uh, Tom Bilyeu, and Tom Bilyeu always talks about he created impact theory and Quest Nutrition. He talks about uh, happiness is determined by progress, and maybe he took that from someone. But um, if you're not growing, you're often like kind of flatlining. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That- that couldn't be true. I think I try to live every day feeling happy and really, uh, really kind of building up my accomplishments. I think every day should be treated like an accomplishment, whether you, you know, implemented a new, a new work habit or you, you know, got everything done, or you, even if you got most of the things done, I think every day should be one of those things where you're treating it like a challenge and, taking it as an accomplishment at the end of the day. And the most important part, which I don't think enough people do is actually letting the accomplishments sink in and letting yourself feel accomplished. Cause I think too much people are like caught in, in the chase and they're like, okay, I did this great next thing, but you need to kind of like marinate in the accomplishment mm. and, and let yourself feel proud and confident. And that is, is really, and essentially, like you said, let yourself feel feel the growth and feel the happiness and and the pride in yourself and that makes makes the biggest difference yeah absolutely i uh i love a lot of those words like every single one of them and i would love for you to plug uh anything you want people to follow your own stuff on your own social 
so they can follow you there. It'll all be in the description, but yeah. Absolutely. Definitely stay in touch with me on my Instagram. That is where you will find the most realist me. Um, LinkedIn <laughs> is a little professional, but you'll find the real me on Instagram. And my Instagram is just Karina.Popovich. Perfect. I uh, follow her. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. This was incredible. Thank you so much, Anthony. I love talking to you. This was so much fun.